Welcome everybody. This is the Art Topic Podcast. Your number one place to hear two dudes talking about nothing that important. I'm Luke. This is Brett. And today we'll be talking about conspiracy theories. Again? Yes, but with a twist. Ooh. This week I wanted to cover the conspiracy theories of old. Not modern day ideas, nor traditional beliefs and superstitions like we've done countless times now. But rather things that occurred decades ago that ultimately led many astray. Fooling us all for years to come. I'll kick us off with a fairly well-known one, and that is the prophecies of Nostradamus. Now, you might have heard this idea before. I mean, it's been a myth for many years all around the world. And that is that some See people can... the future. This idea is used as a fuel for many modern conspiracy theories, like how the Simpsons allegedly predicted 9-11 and Trump's presidency. And a lot of other things. And a lot of other things. Only conspiracy th- theory, I believe, Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> But I wanted to throw it back to the OG of future predictions. The one and the only Nostradamus and his publishings of his prophetic wisdom. So firstly, who is Nostradamus? And why should we give a damn about what he is saying? Well, the short version is, we shouldn't. He was a French astrologer, not to be confused with astronomer, the real one, <laughs> yeah. and a physician. He was alive between the years 1503 and 1566. He also claimed himself to be a seer. A seer is sort of like an oracle, somebody who provides prophetic wisdoms and has a bit of a following. Not the musician. Not the musician. He was a fairly well-respected man within that divination type of community. Aided by his assistance in treating the plague, he gained a bit of fame. He released a book called Les Prophetes in 1955, which contained numerous predictions of his, which were put into his mind via divine intervention The book was actually not received that well at the time for some reason, but only really began to gain traction after his death in 1566, as time moved forward. This is because the prophecies in his books, well, began to come true, or so it seemed. Let's go through a few of his more noteworthy predictions. Some of these I'm sure you've heard already. Yeah, I think they're pretty much very well known, but (laughs) still a very interesting thing to go through. So these are just a couple of the more noteworthy ones. There are tons. I mean, there are There's a lot, a lot yeah. but these are kind of the more interesting ones that I picked out. Firstly, the death of King Henry II. King Henry II was a French man who died after an accident while playfully jousting with his soldiers. A jousting lance snapped and he got splinters in his eyes and head. How do you friendly joust though? Probably not with like a sharp pointy end. Oh, like Maybe there were like little balls or something on the end. I don't Still sounds like a terrible game. Yeah. No. <laughs> Jousting's always kind of scared me. I mean. It's terrifying. You're charging each other with long things and horses. You can make whatever rubbery end you want to make. It's going to hurt <laughs> like hell. Is it? Is it a game of chicken? Is it the first one to turn the horse? Or is it just like whose pole is longer? I think it's a mixture of both because the feat of actually holding the pole steady and aiming at your person that's coming at yeah. you while you're riding is a pretty difficult thing to do. And then once you do get that and you hit the person, I think it's kind of the whole thing of pushing them off. But do you think then once you like you've trained for jousting, right? You've got a strong arm. It's all about measurements at that point. Basically. My pole's longer. Maybe it's like the longer pole you can hold without losing balance or something. The exactly. You are. Yeah. And know. the weight, I mean, literally you're holding it in your arm. And that's, that's a ton of things you have to think <laughs> yeah. about. Either way, I will never play it. <laughs> yeah. I hate medieval times. So the splinters in his eyes and head led to sepsis and eventually death. Nostradamus' prediction stated, the young lion will overcome the older one and he will pierce his eyes through a golden cage. 
Henry II was succeeded by a man named Richard Lionheart, and the our part is fairly self-explanatory. The only real contradiction here is that it was said to occur on the battlefield, but this actually happened after some playful jousting. The next prediction was the Great Fire of London. I have heard of this one. Yeah, this is one of the more sort of popular ones. Mm. I think a lot of theorists have dived into this one more than any of the others. So in September 1666, a massive fire broke out in London, devastating a lot of the central parts of the city, causing untold amounts of damage. It was like really bad. Nostradamus' prediction went, the blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23s of the six. The ancient lady will fall from her high place. Several of the same sect will be killed. Now people have linked 23s the six to 66, because three times 20 is 60 in the six. Okay, a bit of a long shot, but sure. Yeah, so yeah. End up with 66. Do the math, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So with 1966 being the year. Cool, yeah. And many people of London or the same sect died. The thing is that this fire started in a bakery and not by a lightning strike. And nobody knows who this ancient lady is. So again, it's a bit of a half right. I, I mean, a lot of these are long shots. The Simpsons yeah. were a little bit more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to die on the Simpsons fire, aren't you? <laughs> so number three, Adolf Hitler. Oh. People like to link this one, right? Nostradamus said, a young child will be born of poor people. By his tongue, he'll seduce a great troop. His fame will spread far beyond Europe. Fairly self-explanatory, and it's just ambiguous enough to apply to Hitler. Yeah, which seems to be a lot of, I mean, it actually goes past Nostradamus, be vague enough that it applies to multiple situations. That's exactly the thing. So he did a few more of these, some notable ones being the Hiroshima and Nagasaki atomic bombs in Japan and the Kennedy assassination. Okay. So what's going on here? Was Nostradamus really predicting the future? Well, not quite. Many people love finding commonality between the things in his book and real life. And some of these alleged predictions are even quite a stretch already. The expert's opinions, and mine as well, is that the wording of his prophecies was always just vague enough to be able to apply to multiple different things. Yeah, definitely. And not only that, Britt, but did you know that his book contained a whopping 942 prophecies? I mean, come on. Most of these had absolutely no application to any events that ever happened. I mean, if you shoot enough bullets in the dark, you're bound to hit something, right? Exactly. I mean, this is the monkey in the typewriter all over again. Yeah, eventually it'll e- write a novel. Eventually write a novel. And I mean, this happens with a lot of old-timey things because back then there was, there was so much that was desired to believe because everyone, they, they didn't have technology to link them to things that are already happening. So everything was about, yeah. oh, so-and-so heard this from this from this and you heard what Nostradamus said. He said that one thing that was right, so believe everything he says. And it kind of just starts to fuel fires all over the place. Exactly. What he's saying is very vague. But so it applies vague. if you put, I mean, that whole 23 sick thing. Yeah. Like that that over there, when you have to start multiplying and freaking adding maths to his prophecies <laughs> to get an answer. Um, the only thing true that he said there was f- like fire and London. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's bound to be at some point in the future a fire in London. I mean, it literally could be some person's house on the 23rd of the 6th. They had a fire in their house that like burnt down their Christmas tree and the angel on top fell. And that was the high yeah. lady. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like exactly. it, it, it fits together better than the fire of it's London. Really, and I mean, also only half of the stuff was true. As you said, yes. there's no ancient lady. But people still like go... 
hey, this mentions fire. There was a fire. Ooh, yeah. conspiracy. Yeah. And I've always believed, like, in cases of Nostradamus, and I mean, Nostradamus did do uh, a lot of forward thinking that I know a lot of the scientists in modern eras used. So they would take things that he observed back then, uh, especially with like the planetary mm. um, kind of whole solar system and all that. And But then him being an astrologer was like star signs. No, no, exactly. But he still viewed the stars and how they moved. Yes, and yes. They, he wasn't he wasn't correct in his... I think it's... Well, look, I'm being a little bit harsh. Astrology then was a bit different than now. Exactly. Whilst it did focus a lot about celestial... I don't know, beings and the emotions and the the perspective it has on one's mind. So it yes. was a lot more philosophical True. than it was scientific. But they did actually observe the stars and things like that. Yes. And they observed um, their movements and how they work together to get to yes. the actual yes. philosophies. And I mean, I know that people do use his works when it comes to that. But if you're going to start looking at him as this predictor of things yeah. and and you probably find people back in the day were like "Ooh, he's a wizard yeah. and that's maybe why he well, is back then he now. was i actually found this quite funny because then he was quite respected because of look so i didn't really go into it but he helped a lot during the plague i don't really know what he did but he basically just helped people and helped get people back to health and took a lot of kind of big strides and curing it and getting it out of the, the i think one thing about those type of people is they were forward thinkers yeah. Like they weren't afraid to think outside of the box and kind of work towards yeah. a solution that was a little bit more, might have been like unthought of at that time, but in actual fact, it was like, wow, we should really do that. And he's probably like, well, yeah. I have no idea how to do that, but sure, let's go for it. So this gained him a lot of respect. But even then, when his book came out, a lot of people were like, eh. <laughs> like he got a lot of mixed feelings, you know? It was sort of only, it's actually kind of strange because. The further away we went from his time period with people that didn't know him and didn't respect him, that's when people were like, hey, this guy had some good shit in here. Yeah. Like, at the time, <laughs> people were wise enough to know, nah, he's bullshitting. But, yeah. But. but also, I think back then, I mean, his works were kind of obviously put together and there wasn't there wasn't much of a, a full-on printing press type thing. So, yeah. to get your work published into a book was a major thing. You probably found just because of that, it was more believed than anything else. Mm. I think religion had a big part to play in it as well. I'm not too sure what the religious feelings were in the astrology stuff, but um, I think he was quite, I don't know, he was revered in good standing in the community. So I can imagine that he, I mean, everyone in good standing was of Christian belief back then. So Correct. And, and a, lot of, a lot of his assumptions were definitely Bible-based. Yeah. And I think he took that whole religious side and astrology side and he made his predictions accordingly so i mean mm. if he could predict that the the sun and the moon would do this over this duration that that would lead to that over there it's all assumption but he tried to have worth to it so i, I don't know i mean he's an interesting guy and i think even back then he was an interesting enough person for people to follow him yeah and it kind of became yeah i mean what it was not. And I think a lot of his work was also translated a ton. Yeah. So he actually made it to multiple different <laughs> uh, like languages. But I guess that's just the sort of nature with this kind of thing. There's no real answer here. I mean, was he predicting the future? Did he have a few lucky shots? Who knows? Not Nostradamus. <laughs> and that's me. <laughs> you know, Lee thought he would have predicted his own failure. <laughs> like, <laughs> I predict my predictions will be kind of right, but not really. <laughs> Anyway, that's all from me, guys. Brett, what you got? 
Luke. Brent. I want to take you on a little adventure. Yay. But not a real one. Because, oh. well, we can't. But an imaginary one with my words. This is very convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> this journey involves foreign lands and bright lights that dance in the sky. And we'll travel through some snow and heat and meet up with some societies that may or may not be happy to see us. Our journey won't be ordinary. Or the one that's actually ever been done before. Are we going to Jumanji? <laughs> Close. We'll be pioneers. And we'll be known for generations to come. So Jumanji. Basically. It'll be written in history books. And we'll be known as the men who made the journey to the center of the earth. Ooh. I mean, close enough to Jumanji. Yeah, that's Jumanji. Unfortunately, in the history books, we'll be placed on the pages between the Flat Earth Society and those guys who thought the moon was made of cheese. Okay. So maybe we should leave it to the guys that have already attempted this feat. So the 17th century was an era bound for discovery and a little bit of science. It was the era that saw Isaac Newton invent calculus and we received the first ever measurement of the speed of light. It was a pretty great time. But with all of these discoveries came skeptics, people who wanted proof that their works were real. To give context, this is around the time where Isaac Newton put forward his theory of gravitation. And as you can imagine, this wasn't popular with one or two people. Now, my topic today isn't about Newton, but it was a few of his and Robert Hooke's theories on gravity that caused years of controversy in the way people viewed the Earth. Our little journey involves a Mr. Edmund Haley. He was an English astronomer, physicist, mathematician, meteorologist, and the second astronomer royal in Britain. He is also the namesake of the famous Halley's Comet. Oh, that's cool. Cool. I didn't know this until I kind of found a few other things, and I was like, wait a minute. This all makes sense. So in 1962, he put forward his theory of a hollow Earth. His theory mentions a hollow shell of about 800 kilometers thick, with two inner concentric shells and an innermost core. He stated that an atmosphere separates the shells, and each shell has its own magnetic poles. He also mentions that the spheres rotate at different speeds. He envisaged the atmosphere inside as luminous with the possibility of life, and speculated that the escaping gases from the thin crust around the poles caused the aurea borealis, or what we know as the Northern Lights. That's interesting. It's strange, to say the least. Yeah. So it's very complex for what is ultimately a simple thing, a round hunk of rock. Correct. But he was basically trying to figure out why the compass readings were always weird. Okay. Because for those of you who don't know, our poles do move. Magnetic north doesn't stay where it is. It moves slightly amongst itself. He wanted to figure out why that was changing. His idea was that the inner workings made that kind of weird magnetic thing in our compasses. Okay. So it was messing with the magnetic field a bit. Uh, correct. So he put this forward because of the constant changing uh, magnetism of the poles. But people obviously tried to make him justify his reasons for these outlandish claims. Well, I would too. Exactly. So at first, people wanted to know how the internal shells stop themselves from colliding with the outer shells. Also, this idea of shells is ridiculous. <laughs> he explained it because there was actually another theory where they said the shells were almost like layers of an onion. 
Oh no, it's Shrek all over again. Yeah. He was saying that it's not quite layer on layer, that there's atmosphere between the layers. But he explained that the Earth's internals worked similar to what had been seen on Saturn's rings and was held together using gravity. But then what? Are the, are the stars on the inside of the outer layer? That's another theory that I'll get to now. Okay. So secondly, people stated that if cracks existed to allow gases out of the poles, and if everything was drawn to the center because of gravity, how is there still water in the sea and in our lakes? His reason was due to a saline and vitrolic particles, which would plug up the holes and create enough of a porous layer that would allow gases out, but keep the water on the Earth's planet in. See, now I have two problems with this. One, <laughs> it's so ridiculous to even explain that. Yeah. Two, surely people have other questions other than these two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like that's so that's gets your you problem with this. <laughs> okay. So I assume then he knows a bit about molecules and whatnot. So Correct. Maybe there's some scientific base still what he's saying yeah but it sounds like a bunch of hooey it does sound because he was trying to justify his claims using what knowledge he had but it still doesn't change the fact that he made these claims because of one small thing like okay the magnetism at the poles is moving you have to justify that and and, and come up with a theory as to why you think that that's happening i don't know now in terms of life below the surface he believed that this was, and I mean, you mentioned religion earlier. Religion mm. played a huge part in everything from like the Middle Ages up to like the 19th, 20th century. I mean, it still does today. So he believed that this was God's way of storing life. That much like a multi-storied house, the earth could allow multiple worlds to exist in one vessel. You see, this is where I now get a bit like skeptical. Okay, well, oh, this is where you get a little bit skeptical. skeptical. This is where I draw the line. <laughs> In the beginning, I kind of sympathize with him, right? Because if you're a scientist and you're putting forward a hypothesis or your theory, right? It's kind of dick of us to laugh at you. Like, haha, you freaking idiot. Oh, exactly. So it's just a theory. This doesn't mean that he's a devout believer in what he's saying. He's offering it up as a possible theory. Yes. Which is perfectly fine to do in the scientific community. And I feel that... No matter how outlandish, if it has some kind of justification, it's valid until proven otherwise. No, exactly. But that's when you lost me now with the religious stuff. Because yeah. now by him bringing this into it, it makes it sound like he really believes this as the most likely scenario. Yeah. In his defense, he doesn't. Okay. He's not saying that this isn't possible. He's saying that it could be possible. That yeah. this is one explanation. Which is fine, and I think this is probably how flat earth theory started as well. No, exactly. Some guy put forward this idea. Yes. It's actually the other people that aren't scientists that yeah. latch onto these ideas and go crazy. Yeah. And I love those people. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about two of them. Okay. <laughs> In 1818, John Cleve Sams Jr. suggested that the earth consisted of a hollow shell. But unlike Haley, believed that the shell was about 1,300 kilometers thick and had openings of about 2,300 kilometers across each pole. The inner shells were then open to the poles, allowing, obviously, entry and exit. Sams became famous for his beliefs and all of his hollow earth theories. He eventually approached U.S. President John Quincy Adams with the idea to finally make the trek to the poles to find the gateways and prove Haley's work existed. Adams agreed to the expedition, but unfortunately left office before anything could be done. Also, was this going to be funded by the taxpayers? Correct. Nonsense. Andrew Jackson halted the attempts as soon as he took up office, and that drew an end to the journey. Rightfully so. I mean, if you can think about that point, uh, expeditions were still huge. 
I mean, at this time, parts of Australia, like the islands around, were still being discovered and taken over and all of that. So there was great yeah, movement yeah. forward for like new discoveries. And yeah. I mean, if American can prove that this existed. But funny enough, I thought there'd be a lot of hate on Quincy Adams for allowing mm. us to go forward. Turns out Andrew Jackson got the hate and everyone started calling him a flat earther <laughs> because he wouldn't let him go to the end of the earth. Yeah. <laughs> I hate how like in that period when Americans were going on these expeditions, it was to see what they could take over. Yes. And like I'd want to do it just for that venture, you know? Exactly. But like, I mean, they had this this whole mind frame of like, let's go find and take over. Yeah. Make it ours. Yeah. <laughs> Murder the locals. <laughs> Steal America, them. Bring them back to America. <laughs> So let's go on to character number two. This one's a little bit more crazy. In 1869, a self-proclaimed alchemist named Cyrus Reed Teed had a vision that he was visited by a woman who told him that we were living on the inside of the hollow earth. Yes, Luke, this gets back to your theory. For nearly 40 years, he promoted the idea in pamphlets and speeches and eventually started a cult that followed the beliefs and they called themselves Korshans. Wow. Koresh is the Hebrew name for Cyrus. So Teed was also the creator of a form of medication that involved a herbal mixture and a succession of electric shocks. <laughs> so I think it's safe to say that this isn't really a figure I'm going to Yeah, Teed was a bit follow insane. anytime soon. <laughs> oh, but it was crazy. I mean, oh, Teed. they apparently invented this contraption with a really weird name. And what it was supposed to do was they would place it along the ground and using like screws on either end, they could tell that the earth was concaving to prove their theory that they were actually looking at the galaxy within. So when you look at the stars and all that at night, they believe that that was the center of the earth, that the earth wrapped around those planets and all of that, which is obviously hogwash. They had so many theories about how light was bending and all that. Well, I mean, this has obviously been completely debunked with space travel. <laughs> like, <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd be like, pew, pew, into the roof. <laughs> yeah, so his didn't hold water at all. I don't think a person with his background would be believed in any case, no. unless you were partially crazy. So in the end, our friend Edmund Haley is still remembered for his better contributions to science and society. His works with astrology and assistance to Sir Isaac Newton helped further our understanding of the world in so many ways. And even if he started a conspiracy that would inspire numerous adventure books and movies and some more radical real-life expeditions, he still believed to be one of history's greatest scientific minds. So good on him. If you go to his Wikipedia page, the hollow earth theory is one small paragraph. I don't think he's crazy for suggesting it. I don't think so either. But I think he is crazy for elaborating so much. Yeah. But he also left it at that. I suppose you probably had to. Probably had so many questions. He's like, oh, should I better find some answers for these guys? And he did have a ton of people after him follow on with these theories. Okay, none as crazy as the two that I mentioned. But people legitimately thought... And they went with this and they thought it was a thing. I mean, we have the flat earth society nowadays, which is ridiculous. And I really actually dislike you for making us do this because now my search (laughs) history is full of flat earth society forums because that's where I found all this information. (laughs) Happy to help. Join them crazy. I died. Delete all of it. I do not want to go down as being remembered as a flat earther. (laughs) For the longest time, I really thought the flat earth guys were just being ironic. No. Like I thought that was, they were just like, obviously it's not flat. I thought they were just like... 
poking the fun and making these little funny societies just fall off. And it's they really believe it. Man. Yeah. Go go watch that Netflix special on them. It's amazing. Well, did you see that I guess it was a documentary where some guy made his own rocket to try and prove it? Oh and then yes. he like died or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ridiculous. And then another guy put this did this whole elaborate experiment to prove that it's flat. And his results were that it was round. It was round. And he was like, he no, it. I guess my experiment failed. So his <laughs> experiment was a camera and a board with a hole through it. And then behind that was another board. So he had two boards. Didn't one, he use some kind of tool that was like, made sure that the same height above sea level. Correct. But that just meant, no, no, he put it on the land. So Yeah, but if it's the same height above sea level. Yes, yes, correct. Then it will be perfect. No, no, he, so he, he, he catered for hills, yeah. yes. So he, he obviously had this whole scientific thing and he found the perfect place where he could do this because he needed a certain distance to make it real. So on the one side, he had a board with a hole in it and another board behind that. He then had a really, really powerful like laser torch yeah. thing. And he did his first test right near each other. And then you could see on the board at the back, there was a perfect circle. So straight in line. Mm-hmm. He then moved it. I think he calculated it like 1.2 kilometers away uh, would be the proof enough that the earth was flat. Because if it was it's still flat at that point, it's enough of a curvature. And he went and did it at that point, And it was so bad. The light didn't even make it through the hole. <sighs> it was so great. Because like the documentary ends with him just staring at it going, oh, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that has been our episode this week on ye old conspiracies. I just love the word ye old. I know. Just with an e in Yes. Old. <laughs> Do you pronounce it different? Old. <laughs> Thanks for sticking around, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you like this episode, be sure to give us a like, follow, etc. on all social media platforms. And Brett, I'm going to hand this one to you. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. Still haven't figured out how to use it. At Autopic Podcast. You can also check out our website, autopicpodcast.com. We put up a lot of episodes, a lot of videos, a lot of pictures, where you can kind of get a little bit more information about what we're talking about. Sometimes we even post things a little bit before the episode, if you want to get a head start. Uh, you can also email us at community at autopicpodcast.com if you have any questions, stories. Uh, remember, we will be doing a user-submitted episode soon. So get those submissions in. And we will, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll make it into a topic. We have a couple already, guys. Yeah. So if you're interested and you want it read, you better act fast. Act fast now. Uh, but yeah, that's it for us. So stay fresh. Stay freaky. Bye. Bye.